you got a Bible this morning, turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 this morning, we have begun an expositional study of the book of Revelation, meaning that we're going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and uh, we'll just go until the Lord comes back. And uh, I really, I joked a couple of weeks ago saying we started this series, it probably will be the last series uh, ever preached at Community Fellowship, because by the time we get done, I think the rapture will have occurred. And so we'll, we'll let the Lord finish it. How's that sound? The reason we're, we're doing this is because every Christian needs to know all of God's Word, not just select portions of God's Word. Uh, the book of Revelation, for whatever reason, has a, an interesting stigma attached to it, both amongst the saved and the lost. Uh, I think the lost are enamored with it because there's interesting things and you know, mystical things and, and some scary things maybe in the book of Revelation, but even Christians themselves don't understand where it fits in the canon of Scripture. And they don't understand that there's a, a, a very specific blessing associated with reading and understanding what God has to say in the book of Revelation. Because any understanding of the Bible should give us comfort. The Bible tells us in Romans 15 and verse 4 that we can have patience and comfort from the Scriptures. And, and, and in unsettling times like in which what we live right now, where there is a lack of comfort... In, in our culture, there's a lack of comfort and security in our, our media, in our economy, with, with pandemics and uncertainty. Well, there is patience and comfort available through the Word of God. And so every Christian needs to understand that and appreciate what God has given them. We also need to understand that as we talk about, especially books of prophecy that talk about what's going to happen in the end time, God gives us prophecy so that we can become more holy. Not just so that we can have head knowledge of what's going to happen and rattle off statistics and here, here's who we think the Antichrist is, what, okay, fine, whatever, but really God gives us prophecy, he gives us understanding so that we become more holy, and as it relates to the book of Revelation, what we see in the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ as he really is. We see him in all of his glory and in all of his righteousness and in all of his judgment seated on the rightful throne in his glory. And that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Saved and lost. Saved and lost. But, but that's important for us to understand. And so, and so we began this series several weeks ago, and we, we started in verse 1, and we talked about how God gave this revelation to Jesus Christ, and he gave it through his angel, ultimately to his servant John, who then gave it to some servants, these seven churches, which are in Asia Minor, but we are blessed to have the benefit of having this available to us today. And, and, and we saw that, that there was a process to this revelation, and, and we studied that the first, the first week, and we saw that, that John is kind of the human instrument that God is using to, to reveal this to and to record it. And we saw that John had a, a threefold record. In other words, we, we have to take what John says and John writes very, very seriously because, number one, he, he was a witness of the Word of God, he was a witness of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and he was a witness of all the things that God allowed him to see. And so his, his testimony is sure concerning the book of Revelation. And then we saw that the book of Revelation has a threefold reward for anyone that would be willing to get in its pages. And I want to call your attention to verse 3 again, because verse 3, Revelation 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, 
for the time is hand. And, and so there's a threefold blessing connected to this book. If you read it, God says you're going to be blessed. If you hear it, God said you're going to be blessed. And if you keep the things that are recorded in it, you keep them in your heart, you live by faith the things you understand, God says you're going to be blessed. And so this book is, is like no other book in your Bible. There's a very specific blessing associated with the book of Revelation, which should destroy some of the stigma attached to it. Because I've known Christians that wouldn't even read the book. And they're missing out on a blessing that God wants to give them. And they're missing out on an understanding and comfort and peace that God wants to give them. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the salutation of the book, book of Revelation. And, and we talked about how John is addressing this to seven literal churches in Asia Minor. And there were more churches in Asia Minor uh, besides these seven churches. But, but, but we're looking at these seven churches, and literally that's who John's audience is. But we also said devotionally that those seven churches represent seven types of churches. In other words, every church that has ever existed from the book of Acts till today and, and until the rapture of the church falls into one of those seven types of churches. And as we get into Revelation 2 and, verse, and, and chapter 2 and chapter 3, we're going to take a detailed look at those seven churches. And we're going to say, hey, which kind of church are we? And there's one in there that we ought to be. The truth is, we, we may fall a little short like every other church in our time. But there is one church in there that is really the gold standard of all those seven churches. And so those seven churches represent not only literal historical churches, they represent seven types of churches throughout all of uh, that have ever existed, but then they also represent seven periods of church history. In other words, from the book of Acts to the book of Revelation, the entire church age could be broken down into seven time periods of church history. And as God walks us through those seven churches, we're going to see the progression of the church throughout history through those seven churches. And so that's, that's kind of where we began this series. We also saw that in verses 1 to 5, there's an offer of grace and peace as we begin this book. And, and again, as you get into the pages of Revelation, well, there's there's a point where the grace and peace kind of stops. And then it's judgment and tribulation and war and, and rebellion and fighting and, and all these different things. And, and yet the beginning of the book, there's an offer of grace and peace from the Godhead. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, Jesus Christ. God gave us that peace through the person of Christ because the Bible says that he loved us, he washed us, and he made us kings and priests. And aren't you thankful for that? Man, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, I'm thankful I didn't get what I deserved. And I deserve death and hell and eternal separation from Christ because of my sin. And yet God loved me in spite of my sin. He washed me through his shed blood. He made me something that I'm not. And because of that, God ought to get all glory and dominion from my life. God, God deserves every bit of glory and dominion from my life. And and we, we've covered that in a previous session. I'm preaching to you four messages right now in like five minutes, okay? And I'm looking at the clock thinking we're going to need to go to overtime. Okay, and then, and then last week, this is all introduction. We haven't even got to the sermon yet. And then last week, we, we focused in on verse 7 because verse 7 tells us that Jesus Christ is going to come with the clouds. Behold, he cometh with clouds. And we, we talked about last week that, listen, that's going to be a wonderful day because 
clouds are the very covering of Christ's glory, and there are going to be witnesses because every eye is going to, uh, going to see him. But there's going to be worry because even those people that pierced him are going to see him, and they'll even be wailing because, because lost man is going to hate that day. But, but like John, we should desire that. We should want the Lord to get all the glory that he's due. And so as John talked about Christ coming in the cloud and all the things that's going to be associated with that, Christ said, even so, amen. Even so, amen. Let it be. That's true. And that ought to be our heart's desire. We just sang that. You know, we, we, we just sang three songs that really point to the second coming of Christ. And I hope we mean that, because what that means is he gets the glory and dominion, not us, right? So this morning, we're going to read verses 1 to 8, and we're going to get going into the message, because I see you looking at your app already saying, hey, Jay, we don't have time. Look at verse 1. Let me read verse 1 down to verse 8. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be to you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father, and to his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And that's everything I just told you. And then in verse 8, it says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was... And in which is to come, the Almighty. And, and what's interesting in this text is right in verse 8, right in verse 8, in, in this introductory salutation that John is, is addressing these seven churches, there's an interruption. And, and so the message is entitled this morning, Pardon the Interruption. And I'm not talking about your favorite ESPN show, but what I am telling you is, that right in the middle of this salutation, there's an interruption and there's a declaration about Jesus Christ himself. I mean, Jesus jumps into the conversation and boom, and what he gives is a one-sentence statement about himself. And I think since it's the Lord doing it, uh, we're okay with that. Amen? <laughs> and so today we're going to get to verse 8. And, uh, and that's as far as we're going to get today, because that's the way we roll around here. We can't just skip what just happened in verse 8. And so this morning, we're going to look at verse 8, and we're going to see what does it mean, and what does it mean to us practically. And, and the first thing I want you to get in your notes, number one, is this. In this statement in verse 8, in this interruption, Christ confesses that he alone is omniscient. And, and that's a $5 word. If you want to be smart, you can learn that word. But let me tell you what it means. Omniscient means he's all-knowing. And what Christ says in verse 8 is, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. 
I'm Alpha and, and Omega. I'm omniscient. I'm all-knowing. You say, Jay, how do you get that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what you need to understand. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And so literally what Christ is saying in this verse is from A to Z, it's Christ. He is the start. He is the finish. But not just A to Z in, in the English alphabet, right? A to Z. Are you guys with me? Okay, because none of you speak Greek. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're all clear on that. <clears throat> Christ is saying, listen, it's not just A to Z, it's not just start to finish, but literally, Jesus is literally saying that he himself is every letter from the first letter to the last letter. And, and can I just tell you that letters combined together make words, and words make vocabulary, and vocabulary makes language. Are you guys, you guys tracking with that? And so what Christ is literally saying is he's every letter and those letters are used to make words and every word, I think most of you in this room know John chapter one and verse one. In the beginning was the, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 of the same chapter tells you that that word was made flesh. So the God, the word was made flesh. But, but listen, the name one of the names assigned to Christ is the Word of God. And think about it. What that means is all knowledge, all wisdom, and all understanding is expressed through words. And, and words come from an alphabet. Words are created into a vocabulary. And even the word alphabet comes from two letters of the Greek alphabet, alpha and beta, alpha beta, alphabet. And so here's, here's what Christ is literally saying in verse 8. The first thing that he's saying is that he's omniscient, he's all-knowing, and, and here's the key in your notes. Christ is the first and he is the final source of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. He, he is the beginning of it, he's the end of it, and he's everything in between. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And what's interesting to me is when, when, when you study that phrase, Alpha and Omega, in the Bible, the very first time you find it is in Revelation chapter 1, the first chapter of the book of Revelation. Oh, by the way, that reveals Christ. This whole book is about Christ. People come to the book of Revelation and they, they think it's about the tribulation. They think it's about, uh, you know, the nation of Israel. They think it's about the Antichrist. They think it's about the mark of the beast. It's about Christ. It, it's about Jesus Christ being revealed in his glory. And in chapter 1, we just read the verse, verse 8, it says, I am Alpha and Omega. If you skip down to verse 11, he says it again. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And then if you go through all the book of Revelation, he says that again in Revelation 21 and verse 6, he said unto me, it is done, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And oh, by the way, the very last chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, verse 13, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. First chapter of the book of Revelation, last chapter of the book of Revelation. Alpha, Omega, beginning and end, because it's all about him. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. He has all understanding. He is the word of God. 
And because of that, we can know some things because we know him. Does that make sense? Christ is, Christ, Christ is the, the beginning and, and, and ending of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. This entire book is about him. And, and I want you to understand that, that, that Christ, it says in, in verse 8 that he's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Okay, And I want you to understand that, that the Bible doesn't say that Christ was at the beginning. But it's saying, Christ himself is saying, I am the beginning. And so get this key in your notes. The beginning is not a point in time. Like, like this service began at 11 o'clock, and it's going to end about 4.30, okay? But, you know, that's okay. It has a beginning, and, it, and a lot of times we hear the word beginning, and we think a point in time. But I want you to understand that Christ is beyond a point in time. The beginning is not just a point in time. The beginning is a person, it's a person, and the person is Jesus Christ. Now, you've got to catch Colossians 1 and verse 18. Listen to this. He is the head of the body, the church, okay? And, and the context is Christ, who is the beginning. Christ is the beginning. He wasn't at the beginning. He wasn't there at the beginning. Of course, he was there at the beginning. But the point is, it's not just a point in time. It's about a person, Without Christ, there is no beginning. There's nothing. There's no creation. There's no life. There's no account of Genesis. There's nothing because he himself is the person of the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, many of you know this. In the beginning, Christ is the beginning. Before you get out of Genesis 1 and 1, Christ himself is the person that is the beginning. And so here's the second, the second key on that principle is this. Jesus isn't just at the beginning of all things. Christ is the beginning of all things. He, he is the beginning. And you need to understand how powerful of a God you really serve. Colossians 1 and verse 16, it says, By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the beginning. Without Christ, there is no creation. Without Christ, there's no universe. Without Christ, there's no language, there's no words, there's no people, there's no languages, there's no love. There's, there's nothing that you experience without Christ, because he is the beginning. And the Bible also says that he's the ending. And what that means is he's the conclusion. He is the purpose to which all things are related to and pointed to. So your life matters because Christ created you. But let me just remind you that your life matters because he's the beginning. He, he gave you that. He, he's gifted you this life. He's, he's purposed this life to a very specific end to bring him glory. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of God, of the throne of God. Christ is the author and the finisher of our faith. So here's the practical point that we can take away from that statement. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Here is the point that we need to take home today because Christ is omniscient. 
you have access to the living Word of God that gives certainty to any uncertainty in life. Because He is the end of all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Do you understand that you don't have it all figured out? I'm going to help you this morning. (laughs) You don't have it all figured out. Oh, and I don't either. Okay, I'll own it. Yeah, I don't either. All right. And so what we need is a personal relationship with the one who is all things, who has access to all wisdom and all knowledge and all understanding, because life is full of uncertainty. So you need to know the one that is certain. You need to know the one that knows everything. And I would go as far as to say that the only people on this planet that have any clue as to what's going on are the people that are tapped into the living word of God. Because he is the beginning and the end of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And only a child of God who's tapped into the the person of the living word of God can even have a clue what's happening right now. But aren't you thankful you got a Bible? And aren't you thankful you have a relationship with Christ? You know, Proverbs 22 verses 20 and 21 says, Have I not written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge? that I might make, make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. Do you know that you can have the certainty of the words of truth in your life? Listen, in a world where you don't know who to trust, what to trust, there's one person we can trust. And it's not you. <laughs> and it's not your spouse. It, it is the Word of God, the living Word of God, and the inscripturated Word of God. That is certain And I can put my faith in that. And so the question for us is, do we know the Word of God? Because sometimes we look for certainty in other areas. We look for answers in other areas. And again, man, I know we live in a very educated city. I know we have a lot of smart people in this city, and I'm thankful for that. I consider myself one of them. Okay, you know, (laughs) whatever. Yeah, Chris has got my back. He, he, He verifies that. That's a joke, y'all. I'm an idiot. Y'all, y'all, you spend like five minutes with me, you're like, Jay, for real, man, just dial it down. I mean, I know we have very educated people in this city. But I will tell you this, as educated as we can be in this city, we can be really ignorant of true wisdom, true knowledge, true understanding. Because that only comes from God. And it only comes from His Word. And it only comes from the person of Jesus Christ. So, so as Jesus interrupts the conversation... The first thing that he wants us to know is that he's omniscient, man. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. And so for a creation that isn't all-knowing, I want to stay as close to him as I can. I need his wisdom in my life. I need his wisdom in my life. Okay, number two, in this statement in verse 8, Christ not only confesses that he's omniscient, but number two, he confesses that he's omnipresent. And I want you to look back at the verse. It says, which is and which was and which is to come. And so Christ confesses that not only is he omniscient, he's all-knowing, but number two, he's omnipresent. And what that literally means is that he's ever-present. He's ever-present. And in that passage, what you have is three different time stamps. That which is, that which was, that's past tense, right? And that which is to come, that's future tense. And what Christ is saying is, listen, I'm ever-present, I'm eternal, past, present, and future. In other words, Christ is not limited by space, time, 
or geography. He's outside of the bounds of time because he's eternal. And, and that's something as humans we can't even really understand yet because we have a clock and you're already looking at it because you're hungry. I know. I get it. I get it. But I'm telling you, Christ is eternal. And so we need to break this down because there's some things we need to learn. Number one is this. Christ has a present ministry in my life right now. And his present ministry in my life right now is that of a priest. Because in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 to 27, it talks about how Christ has an unchangeable priesthood. Look at verse 23. It says, They truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. And listen, if you were to go to the Old Testament and study the priesthood of the nation of Israel and the Levitical priesthood, well, that thing was only in effect until the priest died. And then, and then he had to have sons that came in and continued the priesthood. And, and they were making intercession for the nation of Israel. They were offering sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Israel to God. But, but listen, Christ is a better priest because he continues forever. He has an unchangeable priesthood. The Bible says in verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come to, unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Do you understand that Christ right now makes intercession for you? We say, well, I thought that was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he ever liveth, and he's able to make intercession for you to God because he is our high priest. We can go boldly to the throne of grace and find the help that we need in the time that we need it. Look at verse 26. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice for, for his own sins, and then the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. And so Christ as priest, uh, as priest makes intercession for us. He's a better priest than the Levitical priest because he lives to make intercession for us. He's alive. You don't, you don't pray to a dead Savior. You have a living Savior, a living priest. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, it's not on the screen, but it says there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And if you know Christ, you have access to God the Father through the person of Jesus Christ. He is actively our priest. But the Bible also says that Christ had a past ministry because the Bible says not only he which is, but he which was. And Christ's past ministry was a ministry as a prophet. This was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 18, and, and, and God says, I will raise up a prophet, capital P, from among their brethren like unto thee, among the nation of Israel, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And, and when Christ came on the scene at his first coming, he was the prophet of God. He was the one that manifests God's word to humanity he was the incarnate Word of God. He manifested God's Word. And, and listen, all through the New Testament, all through the Gospels, people recognize the fact that Christ was prophet. The woman at the well. You guys remember the story? John, 14, John 4, verse 19. You know, Jesus goes into Samaria. I must needs go to Samaria. 
and he meets this woman at the well, and, you know, he says the whole give me to drink thing, and they start having a conversation, and then he starts uh, calling out her sin. Hey, why don't you go get your husband? And, oh, whoops. Uh, <laughs> maybe you know something you shouldn't know. Well, he, he knew some things because, verse 19, he's a prophet. He knew the Word of God. He knew the revelation of this woman's life. He knew every detail of her life. In John chapter 7, when his ministry was going on in Galilee, in verse 40, it says, Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet, the one that was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18. This is him. This is the prophet of God, okay? Not Muhammad, Jesus Christ. Matthew 21, verses 10 through 11, when he was come to Jerusalem, the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the, people, and the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. And so as a, as a prophet, Christ manifested the word of God to us. And, and he did that in the past. And now we have the written revelation. We have the incarnate Christ, God in the flesh. The incarnate word of God. And now we have the inscripturated Word of God. And that's happened. It's done. There is no more revelation of God's Word. That's, that's in the past, and now that process is complete. But then if we go back to Revelation 1 and verse 8, the Bible also says that Christ is one more thing. Christ is which to come. In other words, Christ has a future ministry, and this ministry will be as the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. Okay, Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Man, we just sang this this morning, that Revelation song. I mean, this is what it all points to. I get tore up, man, with that song. That, because it, it's the fulfillment of everything that, that the Bible is pointing to. And so look at it, Revelation 19, verse 11. It says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And on his vesture and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And listen, as king, Christ is going to make war because he is a conquering king that is coming. And that's the threefold ministry that he gives us in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. You know, it calls him that which he who which is and which was and which is to come. And if you were to go back to verse 4, and we don't have time this morning, but if you go back to verse 4, that's the same name connected to God the Father. He which is and which was and which is to come. And, and I just want to have you know, if you ever try to separate Christ from his Father, that's an impossible task. Because in John chapter 10 and verse 30, Jesus himself said, I and my Father are one. And what's interesting in Revelation 1 and verse 8 is, is Christ is now given the title that God the Father is given. He which is and which was and which is to come. He's, all, he, he, he's eternal. He's ever-present. And listen, we need, to, we need to appreciate the fact that we have a Savior that's ever-present. 
In other words, there's some practical things that you and I can take away because Christ is eternal, because he's ever-present, both past, present, and future. Here's the point you need to get in your notes. Because Christ is omnipresent, my past can be forgiven. Aren't you thankful for that? My present can be victorious, and my future is secure in him. Man, I'm thankful for that because we serve a Savior who is omnipresent. Because he is past, present, and future, my past can be forgiven, my present can be victorious, and my future is secure in him. It's secure in him. So I don't have to worry about, I don't have to worry about COVID. I don't have to worry about terrorists. I don't have to worry about a corrupt government that hates God. I don't have to worry about a socialist agenda. I don't have to worry about an economy. I don't have to worry about anything. My, my, my eternity and my future is secure in Jesus Christ. Because he is omnipresent. He is ever enduring, and I'm thankful for that. Okay, number three. We need to stay till 4.30. Y'all can handle it, I think. Come on, let's go. I'm just kidding. The last thing that God gives us in in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8 is he confesses that he's omnipotent. He is omnipotent because he uses that word, the Almighty. He calls himself the Almighty, that, that, the, the, the theological term, if you want to sound smart and educated or uneducated, however you want to look at it, is omnipotence. And, and literally what it means is just all-powerful. It, it means almighty. <laughs> the word kind of gives it to you, doesn't it? Yeah, let's just stick with the English, right? So, so the, the name almighty indicates omnipotence. It, it indicates all-powerful. This same name, the Almighty, is also a name for God the Father. And now Christ is called the Almighty. Why? Because Christ and God the Father are one. And again, you try to separate them, you're you're asking for trouble. You can't. You absolutely can't. Christ said in John chapter 14 and verse 9, he tells Philip, Hey, Philip, you're, you're wanting to see God the Father. Hey, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because you can't separate us. He's the image of the Godhead bodily. John chapter 10, and if anybody would doubt that Christ equated himself with God, you need to read John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33. And it's not on the screen. But Jesus said, and we already read verse 30 earlier, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. The Jews then took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father, For which of these works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. Because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Well, he he is God, so it's not blasphemy. (laughs) He and his Father are one. And so Christ is given the name that God the Father is given, the Almighty. Now, the first mention of the Almighty is, is all the way back in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. And again, uh, we're not going to exhaust the Hebrew and the Greek. That's not necessary because you have an English Bible. But I would say that in, in the Old Testament, in Genesis 17 and verse 1, if you want to go to the, the, the Hebrew, the, the term the Almighty is El Shaddai, right? That, that's, that's what it is. But we can just read the English. It says, when Abraham was 90 years old and nine... In other words, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. 
walk before me, and be thou perfect. And it's interesting that the very first mention of, of the, the name, the Almighty, is connected with God, because he's called the Almighty God. It's connected with a command to walk before me. It's connected with a standard, be thou perfect. Perfect doesn't mean sinless. Perfect means mature, complete. It's also connected with a covenant. It's connected with multiplication. It's connected with fruit, even in old age. It's connected with a name change because Abram's name was changed to Abraham. And it was connected to a land promise. Verse 8, God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. And so listen, this, this, this thing of the Almighty concerning Christ is significant. Here's the key in your notes. The Almighty equals the name of God. Christ carries the name of God, the Almighty. And again, we could run through all the references in Genesis. You could run through the entire Bible. Uh, one interesting note, I think I have it in here somewhere. The one book that carries the name, the Almighty, more than any other book is the book of Job. Hang on to that. We'll talk to that. We'll talk to that in just a second. I just want you to understand that the Almighty is the name of God. Genesis 28, verse 3, it says, And God Almighty, capital A, bless thee. Genesis 35 and verse 11, God said to him, I am God Almighty. Genesis 43, 14, and God Almighty give you mercy before this man. Genesis 48 and verse 3, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in the land of Luz, in the land of Canaan. And so the Almighty is the name of God. Number two, the Almighty is responsible for giving us the scripture. God's responsible for giving us the scripture, but, but there's this little verse, man, in Job, tucked away, that most people never get to. And in Job 32 and verse 8, the Bible says, there is a spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Now, if you've been coming to ministry tools and training on Wednesday night, that ought to send off a, a kind of a red flag right there because we've been talking about inspiration and preservation of Scripture. Inspiration comes from God. God breathing his word, God moving and revealing his word to man in a process of inspiration. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. You see, it's the Almighty that gives us the scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 tell us that holy men of God spake, thank you MTT class, they spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God. God gives his word through inspiration. God gives us understanding through inspiration. Holy men of God spake. You want to learn more about that? Get discipled, come to MTT. Okay, you just need to know the scriptures come from God. God wants to give you understanding. He does that through inspiration, and it's the inspiration of the Almighty. Number three, the Almighty is holy. And we sang this song this morning. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8 says, The four beasts had each of them six wings about them. Not angels, by the way. And they were full of eyes within, and they, doth, and they rest not day and night. So this song never ends. Saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You see, the Almighty is holy, and because he's holy, he is worthy of worship. So if you ever have a problem singing on a Sunday morning, 
Let me remind you who the Almighty is. It ain't you. And it ain't the person sitting next to you. It's the only one that is holy. It's God Almighty. It's Jesus Christ. And that will open your lips and open your mouth and give God the glory because he is holy. And listen, even in his presence right now, these created beings, these, these seraphim, listen, are standing before him day and night without rest. And what they're saying and proclaiming and singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And at the end of that, they say it again, holy, holy, holy. Well, when does it stop? It never stops because His holiness ever stops. Because He is worthy of worship. And one day God's going to set us free from these sin-laden, sin-filled suits. And you'll be able to praise God the way you're supposed to praise Him. You can start now by dying to your flesh and opening your mouth and giving the Almighty the worship that's due His name. So here's the key that we're working toward. This big interruption in verse 8 is really just a confession. And this confession is the fact that Christ is God. That's what it is. That's what it is. That Christ himself is God Almighty. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He carries with him the attributes of God because he himself is God Almighty. And so here's the point. Omnipotent means all-powerful. That's what we started with. And so here's the takeaway for us. Because Christ is omnipotent, I can place all of my problems in the power of his strength. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, man, you and I don't have the kind of strength that Christ has. You don't have the kind of power that Christ has. You, you don't carry the attributes of God in your life but he does, and he has power and strength available. And I know your notes are done. Don't close your Bible. Don't, don't pack up yet. It's not lunchtime. I mean, it kind of is, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, can you look at Colossians 1, verses 10 and 11? Again, these verses in Colossians, many of them line up with the book of Revelation. It, it says that you may walk worthy of the Lord and all-pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Listen, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. And to all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. I'm telling you, as a as a maturing Christian, the longer I'm a Christian, the longer I realize I need the Lord's power. You know, when you're young and ignorant, you think you can kind of do things on your own, and that usually doesn't work out. You can do ministry in the flesh. You can try to be a husband in the flesh. You can try to raise your kids in the flesh. At the end of the day, we need Christ's power. And because he's omnipotent, his power is available to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we close this thing down, pardon the interruption, man, but Jesus Christ is God. He's all-knowing, he's ever-present, and he's all-powerful. And that's who we need in our life because we're none of those things. And in order to make it through life, we need to let the Lord just kind of interrupt us, don't we? We need need to let the Lord interrupt and and remind us of who he is so that we can truly rely on him. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you this morning. Let's pray and we'll